Hey, everybody. I'm uh, Scott Cuthbert, co-founder CEO of Safeopedia. And I'm Gabe Incarnashan with BBL Safety. And we have a fascinating episode coming up for you on uh, change management, uh, bringing, bringing new technologies, new initiatives into your, into your organization. So <clears throat> we have a couple of special guests. Uh, first one I'll introduce is Dr. Tristan Casey, and uh, his uh, title is Implementation Scientist. Uh, specializing in workplace health and safety and, and well-being. And Tristan has m- more more degrees than I can list off in the introduction. So we'll uh, we'll include his LinkedIn uh, uh, profile uh, so people can go check out his uh, his his background. But like I say, he's got uh, <clears throat> more degrees on organizational psychology, uh, environmental health and safety. Um, so uh, definitely more than qualified to help us uh, on this conversation today. Yeah, and our, our second guest, uh, actually, Scott, I think this is our first episode where we've got two guests at the same time. I think uh, so, yeah. Yeah, there's there a couple firsts on this one, uh, but let's start with uh, Heather Chapman is our, our second guest, and she's a safety consultant uh, based here in um, in the U.S., and uh, is uh, has about, I believe she said almost a little over 20 years of experience in health and safety, and specifically with working with organizations to get new technology implemented. And um, again, just like a lot of the other discussions we've had about new tech, uh, Tristan and Heather really do bring that that technical and technological expertise into the discussion, but it's really neat to see how the people aspect uh, and some of the uh, soft skills become part of the discussion around technology. So great discussion. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, Heather Chapman, I am a fellow glutton for punishment in the safety world. I have worked in the safety field from plant safety, corporate safety, um, the research side, and academia to starting my own consultant company. Um, I've been doing this for about 23 years. And this this podcast, this topic is near and dear to me. I very much um, feel that employee engagement and buy-in is just crucial to the overall success of a safety program. Yeah, I like I like the glutton for punishment. I uh... <laughs> and I doubled down by starting my own consulting company. So yeah. I- yeah. yeah, it's not it's not just enough to to do safety for another company. You just want to take on all the all of them. Yes. All of it. Yes. Do do it for, for everyone. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. I do love it though. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. That's great. And uh, Tristan. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I have a very similar background to Heather in that I've done a few different things, including the industry angle, the government angle, the consulting angle, academia as well. Um, So it's, yeah, it's a very rich melting pot of different perspectives that hopefully we we can both bring today. I've got an organisational psychology background and uh, I've always been fascinated by, by technology and the fusion with people. So I think that's why I got attracted to safety because it is such a once you peel back the layers, it becomes quite technical. Um, a lot of theory, a lot of uh, you know, very, very uh, specialized knowledge. Um, but then you've also got the people component, which is about making that knowledge practical and implementable in, in an organization. So, um, you know, I, I really love that fusion of two worlds coming together. 
And I, I appreciate the in introductions and, and I, I you know, will encourage people to reach out, connect with, uh, with Heather and Tristan on, on LinkedIn and we'll share those uh, links in the bottom. But I, th I think Gabe, we should take note. I think we've got more degrees uh, you know, on, on this podcast than all of the previous podcasts combined. And that's no thanks to us at all. That's uh, yeah. I was about to mention, I, I am an MBA dropout, so that's, <laughs> I'm definitely not contributing to this, the, the knowledge pool here. So I, or the degree pool. So I, I get that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and no. three countries represented today, which is a first for us. Yeah. So yeah, this is that we've got uh, the U S and Canada and Australia. So yeah. Good so times. Just Tristan's going to share with us what's going to happen tomorrow because he he already knows. So. Yeah, so it, yeah. I, it it does make me feel better that I know that there is a tomorrow. So that that's awesome. Tristan's <laughs> yeah. there. If the screen goes blank, then I'm like, oh, we got some problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. Well, and and the topic today, like we 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 kind of um, mentioned in the in the preamble, is that you know we've heard from safety professionals, uh, you know, almost when we do surveys after our webinars or when we when we get together at Safety Connect, you know, we always hear about the, the struggle they have getting that executive buy-in or that management buy-in or even employee kind of engagement when, when they want to bring in, you know, new technology or new program or new initiative. So we really wanted to kind of dig into kind of the, like, like I think, I think safety professionals have a lot of technical training, but, but not necessarily that that organizational psychology, uh, you know, Tristan and, and, and Heather both have backgrounds in. So wanted to, to kind of peel back the layers a little bit and try to dig into those change management issues, those organizational psychology issues that you might not be aware of that you should be thinking about as you're introducing, uh, you know, a new program or even the idea of a, of a new program. So um, Tristan, I don't know if you wanted to, to kick it off, but talking about why technology um, in particular, there's there's challenges, you know, in in introducing that that concept or that idea to uh, to an organization. Yeah, certainly, Scott. So, uh, safety is a bit of a funny fact, funny thing. It, it adds a bit of a moderating factor, or sort of changes the context of different things that we're doing in organizations. So, an example is safety training is a bit different to corporate training. There's a whole host of reasons why we have to do safety training a little bit differently, and that's um, kind of the inspiration for today. I think for technology, um, there's a few reasons why. Uh, we have to think differently about safety-specific technology as com as compared to to regular tech. Um, so I'd say that there's sometimes, unfortunately, can be some some difficult or challenging situations when uh, people may use the technology to maybe report an incident if that's what the technology is there to do. Um, it could result in dis disciplinary action, and so that that kind of sends a signal to the rest of the employees: Hey, don't don't use that tech because if you do it. Uh, something something adverse will happen to you. Um, so there's like a cultural element that wraps around the technology. How, you know what what happens when people use it? Is there an expectation that you know everything will be actioned? Um, you know how does it tie into their their sort of organisational justice and and inve incident investigation processes? Um, the other thing about technology, I think, with safety is that there's a temptation to just automate or, or basically take a paper process and, and turn it into an electronic process. And that just perpetuates sort of bureaucracy and paper and, and, and uh, an inefficiency in the organization. It just makes it digital now. So we're sort of accelerating the growth of, of that, that administrative burden. Um, <clears throat> so that can create a little bit of cynicism and, uh, and lack of use as well. 
Uh, I think a really interesting, and this is probably the final point, um, and I might invite Heather to, to contribute some of her ideas, but uh, is, is the potential ethical uh, quagmire or, or challenge that, that might come from implementing different types of safety technologies. So safety is, is inherently an ethical, moral kind of thing. You know, if, if we take things away, if we change things, it runs the risk of people saying, hey, you're, you're taking away something that's, that's protecting workers' safety. Um, and I think when we have safety technology, we, we, we can sometimes forget that, well, what about the surveillance aspects of that? Or does it create some job insecurity for people because they feel like their jobs may be under threat or more scrutiny in, on, their, on their roles? So, so it, it gets deep pretty quickly. And um, yeah, I, I think there's lots to, to unpack there today. Yeah, and I would, I would tie right into that when when we start looking at implementing technology, you know, from the employee perspective, a lot of their first thoughts are, am I going to be penalized if I do something wrong or I don't improve? Um, is the is the data from this technology going to somehow get me in trouble? Um, so helping people understand what it's what this technology is for and why we're using it and what it will and won't do. Um, is actually critical for even being able to try to implement something like this. Um, if if the whatever the technology is, if it's seen as an additional task that I need to do, it's it's one more thing that I need to do. Um, chances are it's it's not going to be sustainable. So finding a way to design technology into existing systems would be a key factor in making sure it's successful in the long run. And then it, I, I think the final thing is, let's, you know, just in the case of technology, let's say we're talking about something related to ergonomics. I, I take a video and there's all sorts of numbers and stats and, you know, rule of numbers and REBA numbers that come out of that. What does that mean to an employee? you know, probably they don't know what it means. There's a good chance they don't care what it means. So I think finding a way to take whatever learnings or, or data or, or um, outputs you get from this technology and making it visual and applicable to the employees is, it's just crucial to making sure that it succeeds and that people will adopt. I agree with that. I think that there was uh, there were a couple points that you both brought up, which I thought was interesting. Um, one of which was that there's a a distinction between technology and being technical. Um, I think that in safety, there are a lot of people that can be very technical. I think the field it lends itself to having you know there are regulations, standards, things that we have to to apply to, and that we are um, we are tasked with. Um, watching, recording, enforcing, reporting, all those kind of things. Um, but the technology is, it, it could either help that or, or detract from it. So if there's a new technological platform, maybe it's an app, maybe it's a program or a system of some sort, if um, it, it might actually help the technical aspect, or as you said, Tristan, it might just add to the bureaucracy. It just makes it faster. Um, it's not actually solving the problem. And then Heather, you brought up also, and, and actually both of you mentioned this too, is that there's this, this other kind of fuzzy factor in, in safety, even with safety technology and the technical aspect of safety, 
that um, it's about how people respond to it and how do they, whether it's positive or negative, how do they use it? Does it actually take away from their work? Um, it's not as straightforward as the ones and zeros in the code. Uh, it's not just here's the input and then here's the expected output because you have different people that are constantly changing. And, uh, and it feels like it's more about that change management, um, not to detract from the tools themselves, but how, regardless of what the tool is or the practice is, it feels like that understanding of people and how they interact with change is absolutely critical for, for people in the safety field. Yeah, I'd agree, Gabe. Uh, if you look at some of the um, the competency models that are coming out from big organizations like IOSH um, that sort of define the landscape of what a safety professional needs to do, very much they've got a blend of technical and now they've got the interpersonal competencies. So there's there's a growing expectation that 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 safety professionals will be skilled in influencing change management, uh, all those types of things, the leadership aspects, you know, that, that, that sort of supports the implementation of safety, not just sort of forces it on people and says, hey, this is what we're doing, um, but more bringing them on a journey and facilitating that change. Um, so it's definitely coming. It's here. It's just the training organizations and the, and the universities need to catch up, I think. So I can't hide behind my clipboard anymore? My checklist. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you, you again, um, Heather and Tristan, you both, you both touched on it, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll call it, you know, the organizational culture, um, <clears throat> but that, that, um, obviously, if you're going to get penalized for reporting a near miss or an incident, then you're going to be reluctant to report one. Um, so, so how does a, you know, as a safety professional or, or, you know, navigate or at least maybe introduce the idea to the executive team that, that we need to, um, we need, we need to embrace this new information that's going to come in and, and we need to explain to the, to the organization how this will help, you know, keep people safe and, and send them home at the end of the day versus, you know, now we're going to track down who, 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 Who's the reason for the infraction and 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 potentially you know lose their job or 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 get reprimanded? So how how any suggestions on how how they could go about having that conversation with the executive team? Yeah. Heather, do you want to go first, and I can? Oh sure. Add. I I feel like Tristan, you and I could off road here for hours on just the whole culture aspect of it, and I think um, I'll be bold in just saying. If the culture is poor or it's, you know, reactive, it's, it's immature, it's not ready to embrace um, these proactive type measures like using technology, it's probably not the right time to even try um, because it's an uphill battle the whole time. And so prepping the organization to even adopt um, a new process or a new technology platform, that could take years. Um, in, in order for it to be thoroughly implemented and sustainable. So how, how do you get there? Well, we talked about the soft skills or the people skills that are needed for the safety person. Um, you can have all the technical knowledge in the world, but if you can't relate to people and get people to trust you and want to follow you, it's probably not going to um, implement very well. So I, I can give an example, when I started my career, I, um, 
wanted to launch this piece of an early intervention program. And of course, it's going to cost a little bit of money. But my suspicion on the return on investment was pretty substantial. And so I remember asking the vice president of human resources if I could do this program. And her immediate response was, are you crazy? And I thought, well, no. Um, and here's why. And, you know, explain the rationale. And, um, you know, they wouldn't agree immediately to this larger deal that I wanted to facilitate a partnership with an on-site provider, but they agreed to a pilot. And so the way I started making these incremental changes was small steps. So I got a 90-day pilot approved, and I was able to show in those 90 days the significant ROI and just not only the ROI, but for me, what was more important, this pilot really got the employees engaged in the process, and then they became a part of the solution. So I, you know, I think depending on the culture, the timing needs to be right, and um, you may have to take baby steps. I, I agree with with that statement too. And what's so funny about how you, how you put that together as well is that the, um, the, one of the reasons why uh, I'll back up for a second. One of the reasons why um, Scott put Scott and I started talking about uh, doing this podcast was putting together the, uh, the, the worlds of safety and business. And it feels like they can be at odds with one another in a lot of ways. Um, but what you did in that, in launching that pilot program, or even finding a way to, to, address that initial reaction of, you know, hey, are you crazy? This, this is a lot of money. This is even going to work. Because you started putting it in uh, a framework or a context that executive management could understand, whether it was looking at the ROI, whether it's looking at employee, employee engagement or retention. Um, those, are, those are terminologies. It's a world that the executive management can understand. And it, as you said, like you found another solution where it wasn't an all or nothing, but maybe we start with a 90 day pilot and then you start to see the results of that. And then people start to get on board and then it's like, okay, well maybe Heather's not actually crazy. And, and this actually really can work. Um, again, that's part of that change management of seeing that, Hey, there's something completely new. And maybe we take those baby steps to get that change moving. And now people are more on board with further changes going Absolutely. forward. I'll let Tristan take the floor and I'm sure you have some, some comments here as well. Uh, yeah, thanks. I've, I've got a very specific answer, I guess, in addition to your, to your great points, Heather. Um, so I found some success with, with uh, executives here in Australia by linking uh, some of these uh, needs to the legislation. So in Australia, we have a, a very kind of interesting point, which is um, the due diligence of, of officers or executives in the company, that they have to basically know what's going on in their business and they have to, to know really well, um, you know, the hazards, the risks, what the work is, all that sort of thing, and keep up to date in their own knowledge of health and safety. So it's very specific. Um, and that's linked to penalties if that's not complied with. So there's a clear business need that if you, you know, that's the hook for them to, to really care about this. So not to come in with a stick, but to say, look, if you think about safety culture, it is about the quality of information in your organization and how much do you know what's going on at the top of the business. Um, you know, all these disasters, these high profile events, they're precipitated by a, a poor information environment that there's just a lack of understanding, there's dismissal of experts, there's 
like we said, the disciplinary hearings for well, disciplinary action for people that report. So all these things that kind of look seemingly small and isolated actually accumulate and create the um, the incubation of risk in the organization. So I try and educate executives on that topic and say, well, do you have false assurance? Do you, do you kind of feel you're safe, but you're actually not? Um, and kind of get them feeling a bit uncertain and, and create that burning platform that if, you know, if we have this technology solution or we have this change management program, this education program, um, you know, that that kind of is the, is the entry point to help address that challenge for the executives. So I think it's the old cliche. If you don't have management, top management support, then the initiative just, just won't go anywhere. Um, so I, I try to get them to, to care about what whatever it is that I'm trying to implement. And that's one one little leverage point that I found works quite well. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, you know, legislation is constantly changing, and the executives are being held to higher and higher account. You know, for what happens within their organization. So that's a great way to to position it to get some of that emotional buy-in. Um, and then, you know, like Heather said, if if your organization isn't ready, it's it's probably. Um, you know, a, a wasted effort. So, so make sure that the uh, the organization is ready. You've got your reasons for for moving forward with a with new technology or a new initiative before uh, before you get started. I want to just as a, as a quick aside, we 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 spoke with uh, Colleen Madison, who's a, a Madison, sorry, who's a, a sales expert. I'll say, you know, and. Again, Heather, you kind of touched on it in positioning it, you know, and being being able to adapt and be a little fluid with the initial rejection. <laughs> I think it's I think safety safety people should know that from a sales perspective, um, a lot of times you don't get that yes until you've asked you know seven or more times, and and most people give up after after they ask you know two or three times. So, so uh, you know, stick stick with it, and you know, don't don't lose sight of the fact that you might might have to bring this up, you know, a number of different times, uh, you know, present different positions and and different different ideas. But but if you know it's right for your organization, don't just ask once and get rejected and 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 give up. Definitely stay persistent and and keep uh, keep pushing that uh, that that initiative. Mm. Um, the other thing I was I was going to ask or or yeah ask about was just um what about um the like talking to your peers right so uh Tristan I think you brought up a good point of like looking at the compliance or legislation side of things um you know could safety folks say hey look this is what our competition's doing or this is what other organizations are doing and maybe through the vendor even getting some referral calls to talk talk to organizations who have gone through it and can share share the war stories, but also, you know, the 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 other side of the other side of the uh, the, the really, uh, you know, intensive implementation. Yeah, Scott. I, I as you were talking, it reminded me of a bit of a study that we did during COVID, where um, we we studied safety managers and how they basically started to reach out to their networks and engage in something called job crafting. So job crafting is where an individual will informally modify their job duties and tasks and expand that to include things that might not be part of their original remit. So for a safety professional, we saw them jump into procurement. We saw them jump into, you know, the sort of crisis advice and and, 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 uh, and executive um, support, just, just really expanding what they do on a daily basis to help the organisation get through a tough time. And I think the lesson we learned there is that if you do that, 
Um, you know, the, the individual benefits reduce burnout, more job satisfaction, more meaning in their job, but also the organisation will benefit too. So I think if, if you are a safety professional, engage in this, this relational, what we call the relational job crafting, reach out to your networks, ask others how they've gone through this process themselves, and then feed that information back to the, to the workplace. So you're almost, um, you know, and, and I think for many safety professionals, that kind of uh, strategic politics and networking and and sort of market research is probably not part of their formal job duties. So they'd have to do a little bit of innovation there and, and think outside the box of what they're supposed to be doing every day and say, well, this is actually going to add value if I if I ask others what what they've done and um, and get some success factors I can share with my own people. Yeah, and I I think um, you know Tristan to your point, if if you as the safety person are trying to sell your idea, doing some market research is it's critical. If you want to get executive support, it it would only help your case if you go to your executive leadership and say, hey, look, I spoke with the safety person at XYZ company. They went through this. Here's what they did. Here are the results. Um, investing some time to fully prepare and understand what others have done is it's just an important process. And I'm sure you've seen that too, Heather, in your role as a consultant, where you've actually, uh, you, you've probably, I'm, I'm guessing you've run into multiple companies who are dealing with the same issue. And maybe they think that they're the only ones that are dealing with, with that issue. And then you can come in and say, hey, there are actually several others that mm -hmm. I've talked with and have worked with that are doing the same thing. And, uh, yeah. and, and there is a lot of benefit with just, knowing that other people are dealing with the same thing that you are too. Yeah. And certainly as a consultant, it just helps me be more efficient in my helping other organizations because I've been there, done that, seen it, know how to go about it. Um, but within an organization, absolutely. It's a time saver. Why, why recreate the wheel? Let's understand what others have done and learn from their mistakes and their learnings and take it and apply it within our organization. So how do you take information, let's say from, from a project that you were working on or a, um, or some sort of a technical, uh, some sort of technology that you are helping to implement in, in an organization and you take the, the information that's coming out of it. I'm sure that pretty much any software platform that's, that's being implemented, there are metrics that come out of it. There's data that shows how it's being adopted, uh, the results in it, things like that. Um, how have you taken that information that could be highly technical and made it applicable for the people that are either consuming or creating that data? So, so Heather, like, how have you seen that to, when you come to not just executive management, but even the uh, middle management or the line workers and take information and make it actually important to them? Uh yeah, I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, you get all these technical outputs and it is highly valuable to the safety person. But if I share the stuff that's valuable to me and may not, I have to know my audience, right. your, your hourly workforce, they're not going to want all the numbers that I want. They're going to want to see something different. The leadership team they also, they're not going to want to see a 15 page report with all the great stats and numbers that I want to see. They just want to know that executive summary. Right. And so knowing your audience, 
and then tailoring the content to them um, helps with that, that buy-in and sustainability for, you know, the hourly workforce. A lot of times um, I try to make it visual for them. There's, there's all sorts of things happening now with video processing. And, you know, you take a video of somebody performing a task and the output is their body parts highlight in red, yellow, green. You can turn that around and show your workforce and they can immediately see, oh, I now understand when I'm doing this task, my back is in high risk. That's that leaves way more of an impact than me saying, hey, when you're doing that task, your back is bent at 75 degrees and that's not good. If I can show them their body in motion and it highlights in red, that's visual, that's appealing. They will absolutely see that as an eye-opening experience. I can take that same data then and show it to executive leadership and say, hey, now that we see this, I need to get a pallet lift table for that pallet. And then we can reduce this backbend altogether. Um, so yeah, just taking the information and you know tailoring it to your audience and making it um, brief to the point and just as visual as possible. We're proud to announce that this podcast is brought to you by Isometrics, the leader in environmental health and safety solutions for over 25 years. Isometrics award-winning EHS software provides you with a comprehensive and integrated risk and compliance management solution. With Isometrics, you can seamlessly integrate EHS data from across your organization, drive accountability, standardize your EHS risk management, and gain real-time access to critical EHS data and insights. If you're looking to transform your business safety and sustainability, visit isometrics.com to get started. That's awesome. So, yeah, and is it because I and I I thought I heard earlier too, just Heather, on the approach you were talking about, and I think Tristan even touched on it as well. But if you can get, um, it sounds like if you can get some collaboration from from the organization on on the solution, so it isn't just a prescriptive. Here's what we're doing, and here's what's you know what you're going to have to do, but but engaging them in a more collaborative way um, to get to, to get their buy-in or get their feedback so that when it is ready to go, they've already they've already bought in. If you could share any any insights or experience on uh, getting that collaboration effort going, I'm sure that would be well received. Yeah, I think um, Tristan and I both had some points on this. And for me, the you know, the, the lead time to implement technology is easily weeks, if not months. Um, it's, you have to socialize what you're trying to do, um, how this technology works. And that might mean demoing it out on the floor, giving some live demonstrations, not only to leadership, but to, if there's a union there um, and just the hourly workforce, they need to understand how, why do I need to care about this? What, you know, how is this going to make my life better or my work easier? Um, and so spending a good deal of time just building relationships, socializing the idea, and then hopefully getting people to buy into it. And in order for them to buy in, they really need to understand, you know, what's in it for me? Why, why do I need to care about this? Tristan? Um, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, thanks, Heather. So I, I guess an example is where I engaged um, 
So we, so we, do, we were developing a, 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 um, a technology a platform which looked at safety, culture, and climate measurement, and um, or climate measurement, and uh, to really design the dashboards and the data outputs. As exactly what what Scott said, we um, did some focus groups and sessions with with workers, with managers, and said, "Here's our kind of rough concept. What would you add? What would make it more?" kind of meaningful to you and and really fed like that sort of co that, that, that co-design I guess philosophy that that we that we hear a lot about is is really effective for those types of things because the end user they have to have a have, have a seat at the table um it's a safety professional you know in, in all their good intentions sat down in the office and made this wonderful dashboard but then took it to the floor and they didn't understand any of it um, or it was very hard to explain in, in simple terms uh, that that would be a wasted effort so involving people like like you've said scott is is so important and not i guess necessarily um from a from a from only a buy-in or, or ownership part but also just really helping to get their needs you know like what are the what are the end users needs and how can we incorporate that into the into the implementation of the technology. So there were two things that both of you brought up, which I thought were really neat. One was that um, there's, you're taking information and a lot of it that is being generated by the, the technology, by the software platform, whatever it is that's being implemented. And it's not that you are withholding or changing information, you're showing the applicable facets of that information to the correct audiences. So as you had said, Heather, the executive management may just wanna see the bullet points in the executive summary. And then the, uh, the people that are you know, on the floor, they may wanna see a graphical representation of it so that they can take actionable items very quickly and digest the information very quickly. Um, it feels like that's one of the areas where change management can fail is if there's all the information and the person who is starting it and putting it together forgets the audience. Uh, it, it'll die really quickly because no one cares. Even though the information's really good, they can't see what's in it for them. Um, and then I, I believe both of you brought this up as well too, is that the, the use of that data and the use of the information and showing how uh, it's actually applying to the business and growing the business is, is very important. And ultimately it's, it's understanding what are people's motivations in this. And I feel like safety professionals need to understand that, remember that you know, from the very start or keep that as an overarching theme is that you need to remember what people's motivations are, um, whether they are a, an hourly line worker or executive management, and then structure the change and the technology to appeal to them all across the board. Um, yeah, that's a great summary, Gabe. One, one thing that that I did want to mention today is, and I think it's often implicit, is that there's a real opportunity for safety professionals to partner with technology providers because the tech providers are really great at building the infrastructure, but often, um, you know, some of the fields, some of the way the forms flow together, the technology is assembled um, and works functionally doesn't always uh, incorporate or, or, or weave in the safety theory. So, so let me, that's a bit abstract, but what, what I'm saying is that say if you have an incident reporting system, um, you know, the way that the fields are set up, the, the types of questions it asks, um, the, you know, the information it's pulling from the end user, you know, ideally that should be based on some sort of model of accident causation to, to be effective. So if, if those questions are focused in on, <clears throat> you know, the behavioral aspects, you know, 
who who broke the rule, what compliance aspect was missing. You know, that, that's a really sort of punitive model of accident causation, and that shapes the culture of the organisation. If the, if the questions instead were based on more of a human factors systems view, you know, you're getting a whole host of other bits of data from the individual um, that, that would inform corrective actions much more richly than a behavioural aspect might, might, might kind of convey. So, yeah, it's, it's often something that I don't think we talk about much, but, you know, the safety professionals can bring that theory of safety and, and how it kind of plays out and what sorts of things we need to look for, and the tech providers can bring the, the you know, the toolkit and, 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 the, and the infrastructure to make it, make it, make it real. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go off script here for a second, and I'm gonna 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 see see if we can uh, uh, go with this this theme. But you know, a lot of the a lot of the uh, audience members for Safepedia, as an example, are small, medium sized organizations. So they're you know a single safety person department, or maybe there's a two or three, but they don't have a a large department, and and they're probably a little less formal. Uh, organizations. So um, I, I've been out of the technology implementation game for a long time, but um, we, we, you know, we used to try to make it a little bit fun and, and gamify things a little bit and, and, uh, it, and, and, and award, you know, kind of recognition more than, more than any quantifiable rewards. But, you know, example would be if we're rolling out a new project control system, you know the the project manager or the foreman that's adopting it the quickest, or or had their information updated for the week. You know, got to got to take a take the scissors to the CEO's tie. I'm not sure if people wear ties anymore, but you know, <laughs> could chop chop the tie off. So by the time you know everybody had adopted the uh, technology and was using it out in the field, you know, the the CEO's tie would be uh, just a nub of what it what it used to be. <laughs> You know, or or the Lego model in the kitchen, right? Every time somebody completed a phase, you got to you got to put in a new piece of Lego on the model, so people could see the see see the sometimes invisible project coming coming together. So, do you have any any uh, inspiration or insights for for maybe those smaller organizations, a little less formal, but how to how to have fun, you know, with with what can be a very challenging uh, a challenging uh, process of bringing new technology. Yeah, I I love your ideas there. Um, we've I, I've worked with organizations in the past, and in whether it's technology related or not, um, having some sort of fun way to recognize people generally garners more support and participation. Um, in in some cases, you know, when we've done a team based approach to certain new projects or implementations, we create a team leaderboard. And those change every other day. And so different teams start moving around and people love seeing that. They, there's competition built within all of us. And so seeing your name or your team name up on the board in 10th place, is kind of a motivator to get you up into the top five. Um, we've, I've done a dunk tank before. So being able oh, to nice. dunk the plant manager um, as, a, as a reward um, during a safety month initiative I, I think having some sort of um, way to recognize people, especially for a small and medium company, it doesn't have to be something that's astronomical or expensive. You don't have to give away gift cards or TVs. In fact, most of that's frowned upon now anyway. Um, but, you know, lots of people thrive on peer recognition. Just, mm -hmm. hey, you're doing great. 
or look at this team. They've done so well this week. That's usually a lot just to intrinsically motivate people to, that verbal and written recognition. Yeah, I guess all I'd add there, Heather's great examples is, um, you know, reinforced that the theory suggests that the social aspects of technology adoption are really important. So what we mean there is the, the, the norms or the unwritten rules from coworkers, you know, is this a good idea to use? Is it something we accept as a team? Um, you know, that kind of intangible stuff that, that we might miss in our enthusiasm to just roll something out. Um, the more we can build that sense of, you know, as a team, we, we see the value of this, we see the usefulness of it, we see the relevance to our job, um, that, that social pressure will, will, will drive your, your implementation really hard. Yeah, and I think, um, oh, sorry, Gabe, um, yeah. I, was, I was just going to say, because, um, Tristan, you made a really good point, and we, we stress it all the time, is that don't, don't feel like you're on your own to try to convince your organization. Uh, that this is a good idea. Vendors do this every day, <laughs> and and they are well equipped to come in and help help you uh, position position it to be successful, but also position it to get to get the the buy-in, um, you know, with with within your organization. So don't don't feel like you're uh, you're out there on your own. Uh, definitely uh, reach out to the vendors. I've seen, um, you know, people getting invited to user group forums where where they they haven't actually purchased the software yet, or they haven't you know purchased the new technology, but they go to where there's a group of people who already adopted it, and they're talking about it, and they're sharing their experiences, and that's um, you know that the the social acceptance of it, you know, seeing oh other people have done it, other people are using it, we're not we're not just uh, out on our own trying to figure this out by ourselves. So yeah, I think I, it's kind of funny you were. Uh your comments actually kind of teed up the the thought that I had as well as so we were talking about, or we have been talking about implementation and getting, getting the technology adoption started, but what happens once it's launched? Let's say that it's, it's now run up and running. Um, and we all know that there is no really set it and forget it situation when it comes to new tech. And the tendency I've found is that people will tend to revert back to what they knew to before, unless they see a benefit of, of the new tech going forward. So uh, I'll start with you, Heather. What are some of the, some tips and tricks maybe that, that leadership could have once the, the technology is implemented to make sure that it continues being used and, um, and the, the true benefit of it is realized over the long term? I've always been told in my career, if you measure it, it gets done. And right. so I, I think with anything, you know, there has to be some sort of metric around it, um, some way to measure your overall success with the technology. And maybe that takes a year to realize the overall success, but what are your incremental goals that you're trying to achieve? So our goal for the technology use, maybe it's, we're gonna implement this technology and at the end of one year, we're gonna reduce injuries by 50%. That's awesome to say, how do you get there? You need to set those small milestones that you need to achieve along the way. And so sustaining it means you have to have your, your KPI set. You need to know what is your end goal? 
And then what are your objectives? Like, how are you going to achieve that goal? So setting those. And then I love to make things visual. So have some sort of, whether it's a leadership board or it's something out on the plant floor, but mark where you're at in the stage. Where are we in our journey? And how are we measuring up to what we said we wanted to do? And that I've used things as simple as like a circle that's a quarter of the way filled or half it for like PDCA cycles. That's a great visual. And it's, it's easy to understand. I can very clearly see I've only achieved 50% if that circle is half full. So having, you know, having a way to um, set the metrics and then actually measure it and then hold yourself accountable. And that usually means making it public information. Um, I'm going to be more likely to make sure that I'm checking all those boxes if I know that, hey, Heather's progress is going to be reported out and everybody's going to see this. Um, I'm going to make sure I'm doing what I said I was going to do. Yeah. Right. Even if it's just, it, even if it's not necessarily executive management that's watching, even just your peers I, seeing it. I actually think it's even more important that the peers and the employees that I think that as safety people, we work for the employees. Um, I think it's more important that they see it um, rather than executive leadership. Executive oh, leadership, again, they probably just want like, I just want a couple bullet points to know, but the the hourly workforce that we are here to serve and protect, they're going to be more impacted by our actual progress than anybody else. So letting them really keep tabs on you is you know, it's a nice way to be transparent. Hmm. So it's uh, 360 accountability yes. on that one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nice. Tristan, what are your thoughts on that? On keeping, yeah, I, keeping things rolling. I'd really support what Heather said about measurement. That's a passion topic of mine. So measures like, you know, not only are they using it, but how often, how comprehensive is the use, what tasks are they using it for, what not, and the mixture of quality qualitative and quantitative so the comments and the, the numbers helps um the other the, the contribution i'd add is is um we know from the successful adoption of, of education and training programs and safety that the supervisor the frontline supervisor is really crucial so the more that a supervisor can take an interest ask people you know how are you going with this what are you using it for where are you getting stuck uh providing time for training you know that they're really a facilitator and an enabler of the, of, the, of the thing being implemented at the ground level. So if your supervisors aren't on board, then the, I, I would say that it would definitely fail. You're just looking for, you know, those little innov innovative people that are drawn to technology and the rest of the group, you know, the, the rest of the bell curve would, would lag behind and, and the whole initiative would, would probably fail. Mm -hmm. So that would be my contribution. Get, get your supervisors on board and, um, and help make or assist them to drive it at the front line. And I think um, if if you look around and talk to folks, read reports, uh, it it says uh, safety's behind the curve when it comes to technology adoption. If you look at other other departments within an organization, um, you know, accounting's been running payroll on uh, mainframes since what the '60s, you know, and 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 engineering and and and, and etc. But um, Maybe we could talk about how how it's actually an opportunity. How the organization doesn't have that technical debt on the on the safety department side, and how how safety's in a position to sort of leapfrog ahead uh, of the rest of the organization almost to to adopt that 
that leading edge, um, you know, tech technology and skip over some of the legacy technology that that might be uh, challenged to uh, to other other departments. And and Tristan, I think you sort of touched on that in your opening remarks about uh, you know where 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 safety tech is at right now. Yeah, it's an interesting time. I think there's a couple of different generations or waves of safety tech. You know, there's some, the first wave was really, like I said initially, that you're just digitizing paper forms, you know, like the, the checklist, the auditing tools, or let's just make it a digital version of that. Um, but now we're starting to see the second generation of stuff, which is really cool, which, in, you know, in, integrates AI. And I know I had, I had this idea a while back, like, wouldn't it be great if safety could have this kind of little box that sits in a pre-start meeting or a toolbox talk? And, um, and it kind of analyzes what's being said and sort of gives you coaching feedback as a supervisor. Oh, did how was your tone during the meeting? Did you kind of, you know, enable enough people to talk? Was there a balanced sort of contribution from everyone in the meeting? So I, I see I see safety tech, you know, in the AI kind of world coming together really quickly. We just have to be careful of um of of what what I call kind of this information paradox that in safety there's a we measure so much stuff that the more we measure, the less we know. Um, so we kind of have this this sort of overload of data points. But without the, the ability to rapidly translate that into insights, safety is just going to be bogged down in, a, in, this, in this messy kind of, you know, um, assortment of, inf of data that just doesn't result in any change or insights to the organisation. Um, you know, in, in safety, we count things, we, we look at things, you know, we're, we're really data oriented. Um, but, but I think the next step for safety is to really get the, the, the insights and that will require AI to analyze you know qualitative comments on take five forms it'll anal you know analyzing incident investigation data more more succinctly and and quickly um, so I think there's huge opportunity we just we just have to really upskill and and get more comfortable dealing with these advanced technologies yeah great uh, Heather did you want to no I would I would I would absolutely agree with what Tristan said and I think part of the reason why just in the safety world, we're kind of behind behind the curve in terms of, you know, the use and adoption of technology. Um, you know, you mentioned payroll. I think some of those more business critical aspects have been automated or started using some sort of technology platform decades ago because it was it was such a compelling case from a business perspective to do so. You know, if I think about implementing a safety platform, um, whether it's incident management system, it's not as compelling of a story. So you really have to have, you know, a, a solid reason and rationale for why, why this is going to be beneficial to the organization. Um, and I agree with Tristan. We we all need to upscale. We all need to learn more about what's available and how it can actually help scale our work. A safety person has 800 things to do in a day and the use of technology may or may not come into play. So being able to understand how I can scale this across the entire organization um, and get others to use it like your frontline supervisor, that starts to make a pretty compelling case. I, I like that idea also of of understanding uh, what's out there, 
and finding the right tool for the needs of your organization. I mean, if the organization is actually built up of people, which pretty much all of them are, then all people are going to be different. And the organization will have its own own culture, its own rhythm, those kind of things. And just because the tech is shiny and new doesn't mean that particular tech is exactly what's needed for your organization. So it, it feels like safety professionals are in this very unique spot where they have interaction with both executive management and line workers and everybody in between. So you can actually get the rhythm of your organization and find the tool that will work best and then guide it through that adoption process and implementation and then the, the maintenance of it going forward. Um, but I, I totally agree, Heather, that, that concept of, of learning what's out there, understanding the technology, being able and willing to use it and learn it, I think there will be a lot of advantages for not just the safety professional, but the organization as a whole and the workers and how they're doing their work. Uh, that will be extremely, I mean, it, it'll be a multiplicative effect. It's not just additive. I mean, you'll see hopefully exponential changes that happen, uh, but you have to be willing to actually learn about the tech that's out there and then go through the implementation process. Yeah, well, I think we're uh, <clears throat> we're at time here, and uh, I think we had some great uh, great pointers for for folks. Um, I, again, we'll we'll have Heather and and Tristan's uh, contact information uh, below the the video and and on our site, so people can we encourage you to reach out on LinkedIn and connect and and ask questions. Are there any any kind of Parting words of wisdom you want to leave uh, leave our, our six or seven listeners that we've got we've accumulated uh, <laughs> since since we started uh, started doing our podcast. Scott, you can't count the two of us as listeners. <laughs> oh, so sorry. it's really three or four. Sorry. Three or four, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I can be trite, I would say good luck. Um, <laughs> but no, truly, I think there's so much information out there and it's it's easy to feel overwhelmed so people should reach out um, you don't have to find the solution on your own you don't have to start from scratch there are so many of us out there that have already gone through the process it's as simple as you know connecting via email or phone linkedin um, finding somebody who's been there done that to help solve the issues with you yeah i'd agree with that and um to add to it there's a whole bunch of academic science on this topic of technology adoption and um, it's a rich it's a rich area and it just is just waiting to be applied to safety um, so yeah I, I think there's plenty to help everyone out there just just get in touch with someone that's in the know and they'll be able to to set you on the right path and make your your organization safer enhance your resume and your future career opportunities all at the all at the same time there's there's no downside there no doubt. <laughs> well, great. Thanks. Thanks, Heather. And Tristan, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. Um, and uh, I, I know we could probably have six or seven more follow-ups and, and dive even deeper into these uh, e e these different topics. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely keep you on the rotation and invite you uh, back in the future. Wonderful. Thank you for Sounds having Sounds great. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Cool, guys. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Really appreciate your uh, time and attention. And just want to give a special shout out to Isometrics 
our sponsor of today's podcast. If you're looking for ESG software or EHS software, please visit isometrics.com. Thank you.